0: With few movies to choose from, once again, we're giving you a glimpse into our own personal viewing habits and how we apply the principles that we teach. Are you just watching? Episode 107, What We Didn't Just Watch. Welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm Eve Franklin.
1: I'm Tim Martin.
0: And you know what? We really hit rock bottom this month. (laughs) Tim and I couldn't agree on a movie. Uh, There really isn't much out there.
1: Very slim pickings.
0: Yeah, my theaters just opened this last Friday, and they're showing old movies. So you pay, I think it's like a reduced ticket price to go in and watch a movie that's probably like 20 years old.
1: I think our theaters in Virginia open up on the 20th? And if I read correctly, AMC is opening with 99 cent theater prices. Ooh. Yeah. Wow. I just hope it's with, you know, real movies, uh, not real movies, <laughs> with modern movies. Wait, yeah. And no. not uh, John West uh, double feature. Uh, James, <laughs> uh, John, what in the world is this? Why can't I remember his name?
0: <laughs> I don't know who John you're thinking Wayne. Of. Oh, John, John Wayne. John
1: Wayne double feature. <laughs> wow.
0: Yeah. So we've been stuck at home watching whatever is streaming and whatever is in our DVD collections. And the streaming stuff is probably the, you know, presents the most new content that we have mm. available to us right now. And so Tim and I actually don't always watch the same things. We we have slightly different viewing habits. Mm-hmm. So this gives us the opportunity to talk about some of the things that we've been watching this summer and uh, how we apply what we are teaching in are you just watching because it is a i mean it's not just something that we do special for the podcast, though I admit that we'd probably spend a little bit more time rewatching something over and over again and watching it with maybe a little bit more critical eyes when we're going to do a podcast on it, but yeah, definitely, it's something that we are hoping our listeners are developing. Uh, An ability to watch at least partially paying attention (laughs) to the (laughs) worldviews of what is being uh, portrayed and that they're not just shutting off their brain because it's something to have on in the background while they're working or something else like that.
1: Yeah, you know, just a comment. Uh, when we're doing a a movie for the for the podcast, particularly if we're doing a movie that we are watching on DVD or streaming, mm-hmm. we'll watch it at least twice. At you least often watch it three or four. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, you've actually gone back to the theater to see a movie mm-hmm. two or three times before we actually record the episode. Yes. I very rarely get to do that. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, you know, we sit in the dark theater and we write notes and uh, work out the entire script. So a lot of work goes into it. So this time we're just diving into what we like, what mm-hmm. we don't like. Yeah. And what's been on our screens.
0: Yes. And we hope you enjoy it. And if if you like this episode, uh, please do let us know so that, you know, if this is something, a, a format that you like, you can maybe even let us know and you want to see more of that because we're always watching stuff. And this is something that's a little more off the cuff. We're not going to get as deep into like theme breakdowns or anything like that. We're just going to talk about what we've been watching and, 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 how that affects our worldview, and and whether we are applying the tools that we hope that we are giving our listeners on a regular basis to what we Mm. watch for fun. And just before we dive into that, I do want to plug my book, which is Are You Just Watching? Just like the, the name of the podcast, which you can find on Amazon. And that is a guided journal to do exactly what we do on a personal level where you are when you're watching movies or watching tv you can apply it kind of talks you through how to uh, watch things critically and break it down by themes and apply scripture to it and so Mm -hmm. i highly encourage our listeners if you haven't already to go in and purchase that journal and start applying these things to your own viewing and not just listening to us talk about movies once a month yeah all right so kicking this off I'm not exactly sure how to do this because we've never done this before.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's start by jumping about what we like and what we don't like and what drives those decisions and those desires.
0: Okay. When I turn on the TV to find something to watch, it depends on my mood and what I'm also doing because I find that I very rarely nowadays, unless I'm actually prepping for the show, watch something with my undivided attention. I usually am doing other things. I'm a mm. graphic designer by trade. So a lot of times I'll have TV playing uh, while I'm looking for pictures for a, a project that I'm working on or, you know, font searches and and just playing with elements on the screen. Sometimes I'm just playing games on my tablet or, you know, browsing Facebook <laughs> I, I very rarely devote my entire attention to things that I'm watching, which I think it's kind of interesting because I used to be more focused on video content. But as I've gotten older, I found that I listen better when I'm not watching the video, which is...
1: That That's interesting. Yeah. It's, you know, science science has shown us time and time again that women are far better at multitasking than men. And I mean far better. Because mm-hmm. if, if I'm not giving a show my undivided attention. If I even have my phone in my hand, I will miss. <laughs> it doesn't matter if I'm looking at my phone screen, I will miss something on the screen, and I'll have to turn to my wife later on and say, wait a minute, when when did that happen?
0: <laughs> yeah, I will grant that, you know, if something is visual, that isn't represented in the audio, I will often mix, miss it because I'm not Paying as much attention to the visual aspect of shows. But it's something that for me, it's just I have to have more than one thing going on. And it's mm. so when I choose things to watch, I do like uh, character driven stuff. I like to be able to empathize with the characters, to understand them, to you know, get involved in their lives. Not so much from a soap opera standpoint. I've never really been too fond of soap operas, but more of just character-driven stories where it's not about anything other than the characters. And so I tend to lean towards crime dramas with twists. So I'm going to probably go back in time with some of these. I really love Leverage, (laughs) The Mentalist uh, Numbers. My parents got me hooked on NCIS, and I think I've seen all of I haven't seen like the last three or four seasons, but I've seen all uh, of the older episodes.
1: Yeah, that's and, a series that's gonna be around as long as we're alive, I feel
0: yeah. like. <laughs> well, they've gotten rid of a lot of the more interesting characters have they as they've, you know, rolled yeah. out of the show, so And then I I do like reality shows, especially now that I've subscribed to Disney Plus, which has a lot of Nat Geo content on it. I've absorbed a ton of the Nat- National Geographic content, the the series having to do with veterinarians and zoos and you know, animals mm. in general. Little known fact, when I was in college, I wanted to be a veterinarian. So I uh I love animals and so it's kind of like exploring a path untaken when I yeah. watch those shows.
1: <laughs> I can understand that.
0: Yeah. But then just because, and and this is probably something our listeners already know about me, and I think this is where you and I meet, uh, is uh, I really love watching sci-fi and fantasy. And I love reading it as well. And that is something that I have absorbed on a very regular basis since probably before high school. I've just mm-hmm. cut my teeth on the Chronicles of Narnia and it just went on from there.
1: <laughs> and uh Chronicles of Narnia the Gateway book. Yeah,
0: the Gateway book, yeah. <laughs> and and so I've just really enjoy especially good deep science fiction that introduces yeah concepts beyond just the story that's on the screen. I like things that are, you know, hidden agendas and uh hidden priorities and I just love that stuff. And Yeah. I think that science fiction especially gives you a really good way of of exploring our world through metaphor. And mm-hmm. I, I and people who don't get science fiction I think that's usually why they don't get it is cuz they don't understand that it's oftentimes it's a metaphor.
1: Yeah, it allows you to to evaluate moral quandaries from a almost like a third person perspective mm-hmm. and without um, the s- social feedback just like We always point back to the original uh, Star Trek, the original series, and Mm -hmm. how they addressed a a lot of social issues. And and the whole Star Trek series that are still out there today, like Picard was recently on CBS All Access, as well as uh, Star Trek Discovery. Mm -hmm. They continue to try and do that. Unfortunately, or fortunately, I, I don't know which, they are pushing social agendas that are... Not necessarily scriptural,
0: yeah increasingly secular, let's put it that way, yeah
1: <laughs> it's very much so when we talked about how we were going to structure this this episode i I sort of broke mine down into stuff that I liked and and disliked, but I was also thinking about why I like and dislike certain things, and I find that I actually have to focus, and you probably do this on on a not quite unconscious level, but you probably do this more naturally than I do. I have to focus on trying to stick with good stuff. And I don't mean like Oscar winning performances. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, stuff that, that doesn't corrupt me. And, and that's actually one of the reasons um, that I steered away from game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know I've mentioned in the podcast before that I read the Game of Thrones books and very much enjoyed them. Yeah. But when the series, when we started watching the series on HBO, it was just so, so heavily uh, invested in skin
2: <laughs> on yeah.
1: screen. Yeah. And I've read a number of articles that talk about the actual direction from the executive producers saying that they needed more and more sex on the screen uh, because that's what sells and stuff like that. I have to steer away from that stuff because I find it corrupts me.
0: Yeah. I agree with you cuz I I struggle with the same thing. I I read the Suki Stackhouse books.
1: Is that the Midnight Texas one?
0: It's the Southern Vampire and it's what True okay. Blood was based on. The, the oh, other Oh, yeah, yes. True
1: Blood. Yes. Yeah. yes.
0: And I had read the books, and they're like I said, they're not the kinds of things you'd want your ki- in the house that your kids would get a hold of. Right. I had to let go of that soon after I I attempted to watch True Blood, and I, I felt so dirty afterwards that it was just I had to pray and for, ask for forgiveness that I'd even watched mm. it. And I've just come to the conclusion that anything that HBO takes on as a project, that it's just not worth Christians even sampling because it's going to be bad. Yeah. That's, you know, choices that we all have to make and mistakes that we have to make sometimes to know that, hmm. oops, I went too far, you know, yeah <laughs> and be sensitive to the guidance of the of the spirit and knowing when you're treading in dangerous ground.
1: There was an Amazon Prime series not that long ago called The Boys that, that actually, the description checked all my boxes.
0: Oh, yeah, I know. I saw of, the previews uh, for it. And it looks so good. Superheroes yeah. and
1: moral <laughs> quandaries and all that. I actually watched the entire series, but I really – oh, man, I really – even to this day, I regret stomaching the entire thing because not only was it bad for me, Mm -hmm. but it was specifically anti-Christian. Yeah. Every single portrayal of faith in the the series with the possible exception – I was going to say with the possible exception of the one hometown hero that you could consider her the main character, yeah, was anti-scriptural. Even the the girl who had come up to become the the newest superhero came out of, you know, small town Texas or whatever. She was a progressive Christian who argued that uh, love conquers all and and it's not sin if you love. Mhm. And stuff like that, but
0: Yeah. I watched the pilot to that, and that was enough. I was like, at yeah. finishing the the first episode, I was like, there is absolutely no way I could watch this. And I even went and gave it a bad review online and got berated for, for being.
1: <laughs> God forbid you actually abide by morals.
0: Yeah, the, the, it was disgusting. I was like, there's absolutely no way I can watch that. So, but yeah, you're right. I mean, they, they portrayed it as something that did tick all the boxes for me and it it was, it was worth at least trying. And I've had a few, like when I still had Netflix, I, there were a few of those where I would, Browse through and find something that seemed to tick some boxes, and mm-hmm. and I would watch the first episode and go, uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> definitely yeah. not.
1: So one of the the scripture references, and I know I've used this one before on the show, but it, it's one that we can always do well to be guided by is Philippians four eight. Mm-hmm. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. And that's really what we, we need to, uh, we need to focus on, which is not to say that there isn't good stuff out there that warrants viewing, even though it doesn't seem to check these, but it requires a critical thinking that we talk about here on are you just watching we need to apply scripture to these to understand you know the what's good and and what's not because like the boys it may not always be perfectly clear <laughs> when you start yeah so what i like one of my greatest uh, draws is I love coming of age stories, particularly if it's coming of age to a hero. This, this actually drove my early reading habits. Raymond Feist's The Magician series was one of the first fantasy series that I read. And it's about a young scullery boy called Pug who grows into the greatest magician the land has, uh, has ever seen. And David Eddings, who is actually a closet Christian writer. <laughs> wrote The Belgariad, which is a a story of Garion, who, uh, you know, is a fulfillment of prophecy. Mm -hmm. So I, I like the coming of age and, you know, growing into heroes. And I like solving mysteries. You mentioned crime dramas with interesting twists. And I really like mysteries that are deep particularly ones that have political intrigue built into them and stuff like Mm -hmm. that.
0: It's just weird that you you like mysteries. I think we discussed this when we did Knives Out, that I'm not a huge fan of the mystery genre, mainly because I feel like that the mystery is usually built by withholding information from the viewer. Yeah, And so it's very rare that I find a mystery that's well-written or well-produced enough where it isn't just them withholding information. But Crime dramas you're right they tend to have, you know, a bit of mystery to them. It's a story that is being, you know, they're they're trying to figure out who did it. So
1: Mhm. You know, sometimes uh it and I think it's getting more popular where they they are writing the mysteries where they they tell you at the very beginning who did it and part of the mystery is understanding the motive behind why they did what they did Mm -hmm. and usually i like those but that's that's something that can go very wrong yeah the last thing that i really look for is a hero or a main character who maintains good character makes good decisions in the face of the worst adversity and for this you know we see it in war movies we see a lot of this kind of Mm -hmm. thing
0: Or even the superhero movies.
1: Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. I have 1917, which I have not yet watched. Kayla and I are going to watch it together, but uh, it's the type of movie she says she has to be in a very specific mood for.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: But there's stuff out there that I specifically don't like. And I know I've mentioned it before. I am not a fan of antiheroes. And, you know, there can be a thin line between a reluctant hero and an anti-hero. Yeah. And I like reluctant heroes, but what their motivation is and what morals they bring to their story make a huge difference to me.
2: Mm. Yeah,
1: And I am finding that I'm turned off more and more by sometimes movies, but shows in particular, that come out with just an anti-scriptural social or political agenda.
0: Yeah. And that's becoming much more prevalent in TV, especially. It's hitting movies some, but I think the TV especially, it's like every TV has to tick certain social agenda boxes, and that makes it harder and harder to watch.
1: One universe where it's just made it unpalatable uh, to me is the cwdc universe mm. uh, television programs yeah legends of tomorrow the flash
0: yeah they've sacrificed good television for the sake of making political statements
1: yeah exactly
0: it's like every episode is what political statement are we harping about this time mm-hmm yeah
1: And you know, when when Star Trek did it, they at least, they they couched the message in an alien civilization, Mm -hmm. but the CW series, they didn't even try to. They just said, look, if you don't do it this way, you're evil and we're going to fight you. Mm. And uh, that bugged me. Yeah, I do want to stress, though, that for me, and I, I know it's not this way for everybody, that there's a line between representing classes of people who I don't agree with like LGBT and pushing an LGBT social agenda mm-hmm. because you know secular media it let's face it they are in it to make money that right. <laughs> that is their driving factor and to that end they want to ensure that they are creating characters that everybody can sympathize with from every class of of people So I I don't mind so much when they put in an LGBT character, Mm -hmm. but I mind when they make that the focus and make people who believe scripture the bad guy.
0: Oh, yeah. There there are certain shows where I have enjoyed them and loved the characters, and then they'll have one particular episode where – they suddenly decide to portray their, you know, the the stupid Christian, you know, or the faith healer or whatever. Or the hypocrite. Or the hypocrite. And it's like, yes, those people exist. I don't have a problem with, but when they use them as representative of the entire, you know, Christian world, and that all Christians are this way, that usually puts a bad taste in my mouth. And I haven't necessarily stopped watching every show that's done that, but it definitely turns (laughs) me off.
1: Yeah, it gets under your skin eventually. Yeah. But, you know, there are shows out there that are enjoyable despite (laughs) having that in it. So.
0: Well, we we wanted to just talk a little bit about recent viewing. For me, this is uh, what I am currently watching, and uh, I'm in the middle of binging this very (laughs) – popular show that I have heard about for a very long time and I've never tried to watch and it just it came up in my Amazon Prime feed the other day and I'm like you know I've heard people talk about this for a really long time I might give it a try and so I started watching House and it's a medical drama I think there's Mm. eight seasons total and I'm in the middle of season three so I've still got a lot of watching to do whether I make it through all eight seasons I have no idea (laughs) I think the way that it's put together that kind of drew me in initially is not the main character. And I'll, I'm going to talk about that in a little bit because it, it is a bit of an anti-hero go- kind of going on with the main character. But it's interesting how they always start It's the programs where you see somebody who is acting like they're ill. And you think, oh, this is going to be the target of the show. And then it turns out mm. to be someone completely different who ends up having a spell or some kind of medical problem. So they always, at least in the first couple seasons, I, and they may divert from this as they go on because it was getting a little formulaic after a while, because once you expect it, you go, Oh, that's not the person It's going to be the next yeah. year, you know, but it would always draw you in. Cause you're like the way they would put together the little intro for every episode. It would draw you in. But house is a doctor who had a, his backstory is that he was lovingly married and he had a condition that caused I think it was like a blood clot in his leg,
1: yeah a deep deep vein thrombosis, yeah,
0: deep vein thrombosis, and his wife made a medical decision for him when he was not capable of making it, in which they went in and took out actual muscles in his leg, and so he is crippled and permanently, and he's not able to uh walk well and and he's in constant pain, and so because he's in constant pain, he is popping pills all the time to deal with his pain, and he's a very smart doctor, and he's capable of solving medical mysteries in a way that, you know, nobody else, I mean, he's just, like, brilliant, but he doesn't care about people. He doesn't interact with patients. He's mean to his interns. He's doesn't respect authority. He uses his friends. There's actually very little redeeming qualities about this man. <laughs> and, and I actually had talked to my parents about this because my mom loves medical dramas, and so I figured they had at least tried to watch it at some point. And she said that they had watched like a few episodes. She wasn't sure whether they started at the beginning, but she'd seen a few episodes of it and she they just didn't like him at all. And so they'd quit watching it. Hmm. So I was just really intrigued by the fact that this man has absolutely no redeeming qualities. And yet he's the hero of the show. He always comes up with the solution. He saves lives. And he has people who really care about him and, and will, you know, lie to police, <laughs> save him from going to jail. And all kinds of things. And, and it's like, how does he garner this? Why do people care about him when he obviously cares about no one but himself? He's utterly selfish in every yeah. way. But yet the show is really good. And one of the things that I've appreciated about it is that almost every show, there's usually some kind of philosophical thing that they're talking about. And not necessarily, while they're social justice, they do have their social justice whammies the philosophical arguments usually end up having characters arguing credibly from all sides. And so the discussions are interesting, and the philosophy is interesting, even if House himself rarely takes a position that I agree with. <laughs> it sounds like you may have actually seen some of this or all of it.
1: Kayla Kayla and I actually watched it when it was originally on. Kayla, my wife, is a big fan of medical dramas as well. Mm-hmm. And I'm a huge Hugh Laurie fan. Okay. And Hugh Laurie is the actor who portrays House. You may remember him as bungling burglar number two in Home Alone, <laughs> along with Joe Pesci. <laughs> But Hugh Laurie is a uh, a multi-talented actor, musician, um, mm-hmm. director, producer. You know, he checks all the boxes, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> we use use that a lot in this episode. He's a, an outstanding jazz pianist.
0: Yeah, and they actually have House playing the piano occasionally in episodes. So he, he gets to use that talent.
1: And, you know, earlier I mentioned that there are shows where every other thing, you know, will still watch it despite... Stuff we don't like because every other thing is so good. And for me, House actually fit that because I didn't like the House character. Mm -hmm. There were a number of times, uh, and you actually mentioned at least one of them in your notes, where he advises specifically against what I firmly hold to be true. Yeah, But like you said, and this was one of the things that I loved about it, was when there was disagreement in this program, they didn't present it as well, I'm right, and you're a blithering idiot. Yeah. Even though House thought that everybody, everybody who else is blith- with him yeah. is a blithering idiot. <laughs> yeah. They they presented it to the audience as an actual valid discussion and let the audience make the decision. Right. And that writing really kept me going. Um, we did watch the whole thing. I don't remember a lot about it. I, I don't remember. It ended in maybe 2012.
0: That sounds about right. Yeah.
1: And, you know, I have trouble remembering what I had for breakfast this morning. So. <laughs> oh, wait, it was sausage, sausage, biscuits and gravy.
0: Yeah, it's one of those shows that, you know, it, it had its day and it's no longer running. But because of the miracles of streaming television, you can go back and, <laughs> and, and watch it, you know, episode after episode after episode. And
1: and thanks to the quarantine.
0: Then Thanks to the quarantine when, you you know, you have nothing else to do. I did want to point out just a few things specifically from the two and a half seasons that I have watched so far. And one of them was season two, episode 19, which is House versus God was the name of the episode. And they Mm -hmm. portrayed a young faith healer who was, uh, you know, obviously doing the laying on the hands and praying uh, healing and he gets ill and is one of House's uh, special cases, because all of the cases that House takes are, you know, medical mysteries kind of thing. They mm-hmm. they require uh, some give and take in the diagnosis, which is another thing that I think is very odd about it, is that he basically uses his patients as experiments. You know, it's like every, yeah. it's like, oh, well, let's see if this works. Well, let's see if this works, you know, and I guess if Ethic, it's,
1: Ethics are not high yeah, on if, this man, yeah. so- <laughs>
0: if it's a matter of life and death, I can kind of understand some experimentation, but some of his cases are not always life and death. But yeah, in this particular one, they're actually keeping count of, you know, God, whenever something could be attributed to God and something that House did. And so at the end of the episode, God has three and House has three, it was a tie. Hmm. And it turned out, I think if I remember right, that the, the uh, faith healer ended up having an STD. So it was kind of like that he was not living the pure moral life that everybody thought he was living. And uh. which, you know, is it's fine because Christians are fallen people and they make mistakes too. And I don't necessarily believe that portraying a faith healer, like I said in, in our intro material, uh, faith healers, I don't think are necessarily a good representative of christians in general because they typically tend to be charlatans especially in mm. our our day and age so i don't disagree that faith heals but i don't believe in faith healers because i think it's the faith of the person who is being healed that matters not you know some person in a yeah. suit you know who portrays himself That's as a healer yeah
1: scripture definitely supports that
0: yeah so I didn't necessarily feel like they were portraying Christians very well in this episode because they were making it look like this was Christianity. But there were some very interesting religious discussions that not only happened in this episode, but in multiple episodes. I'm amazed at how often they discuss religion in this show. And a lot of times it isn't, even though House himself specifically is an atheist, I'm surprised at how often the discussions don't necessarily portray religion in a bad light. And so it it surprises me how often an atheistic secular show allows religious discussion. Mm. It and it was rather surprising to me cuz House is not portrayed as always right. And he he's usually right in his medical diagnoses, but he's usually wrong and just about everything else. <laughs> and, and so in his interactions with people and the way he treats people and, you know, he's definitely a man with feet of clay. And so, you know, to, to see him have these discussions and know that the show is not going to necessarily always make him right. It's kind of fun to, to then differentiate between who's right and who's wrong in those discussions. There was another episode that I just recently watched where a rape victim is presented and really latches onto house as somebody that she wants to talk to. And of course he doesn't like patients. So dealing with her is, is a huge trial for him and
2: hmm.
0: she has an STD because she was raped and, but it turns out that she's also pregnant. And when he tells her that she's pregnant, she argues quite strongly for the pro-life position, which I appreciated that they had a a rape victim who was arguing that way. Uh, What I didn't appreciate was that they had House taking the position that the baby uh, didn't matter in this equation at all. And Mm. And it was just a line at the very end that he, you know, basically said that she terminated, that he talked her into terminating the baby. I refuse to say terminating the pregnancy because when you terminate a pregnancy, you're killing a baby. So yeah. uh, granted she was probably f- fairly early into her pregnancy, but that doesn't make it any better. Yep. And, and so that was a hard show to watch, but at the same time, I appreciated that they had a pro-life victim who was willing to put the baby's life ahead of her own discomfort. You know, cause she kept saying it's a baby. I Killing a baby is wrong. And I appreciated that. What I didn't appreciate was that they had her change her mind. And yeah. that was difficult. There was also another episode that I've recently seen uh, in season three, episode 11, in which House is in rehab. And he's talking of, you know, the the steps for addiction. Uh, I, I guess this step two, I come to believe there is a power greater than ourselves that can restore us to sanity. And step three is make a decision to turn our will and our lives over to to the care of God as we understood him. So he has problems with steps two and three because he's an atheist. So believing that there is a higher power, he says, maybe he Mm. could believe, you know, that there was something, but it wouldn't be God. And, you know, like Andre the Giant or so, I think it's the example he uses. (laughs) And then he said, uh, three is I'm not going to give up my will to, you know, this higher power. i never leave home without my free will. And the therapist reminds him that he never leaves home without his pills. And that reminder of his dependency on the medication to be able to function. And the few times that you see where they've cut him off and he can't get his pills and he becomes unable to focus on anything but his pain and his need to have those pills. He does believe in a higher power. He believes in the higher power of the drugs that he's addicted to. Yeah. And that is... I think one of the most honest portrayals I've seen of atheism, because it is true that even though you don't believe in God, you believe in something and you're dependent on something. And people are always trying to replace God with something in their lives and they don't recognize it as a higher power. Like house, he doesn't recognize there's a higher power, but he is honestly dependent on something outside of himself. And so That is, I think, uh, I think that's kind of why I'm enjoying the show is how honest it is. It doesn't seem to allow, allow you to rest in the stereotype. It blows the stereotype out of the water so that you're forced to look at it. Even when they presented an LGBT, they had a lesbian couple in the I think it was the second season. And at first, I was like, oh, great, they're going to have the loving lesbian couple that's going to just portray it as beautiful (laughs) relationship and everything's right. And then you find out the woman who's ill wants to break up with her significant other. And you find out that the selfless, non-medical problemed woman uh, is willing to give up part of her liver to help, you know, her her uh, partner. And then it turns out in a conversation after she selflessly gives up her part of her liver, that she's doing it as a hook to keep the other one in the relationship because she knew that she was trying (laughs) to leave. So they both turn into manipulative jerks and it's like, okay, so honesty there as well. You know that. Yeah. Everybody's out to get everybody. And as house always says, his mantra on almost every episode is everybody lies. And That comes down to all of sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. we everybody lies, everybody has even Christians who are honest will have those little lies, those little things that they don 't want other people to know that 's going on in their lives and yeah so I you know I find the show to be very honest and I enjoy the philosophical debates and the reason that I'm watching it is because of these portrayals. It's it's to be able to apply my Christian worldview and go, aha, I see what they're doing there, and yeah, that is you know eye opening. And I think it, the honest portrayal of all of these stereotypes have, have kept me hooked. Now, if the show eventually moves to where it's presenting more of an agenda and less of a balanced argument, I might lose interest and. In- Go away. Yeah,
1: I don't remember if it ever, if that one in particular ever does. You'll have to tell me if if you feel like it does at some point. Yeah, I broke mine in into three categories of stuff that I'm currently watching, a little more general. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a huge fan of history. I watch all kinds of things on the History Channel. I probably watch as much History Channel stuff as I do every other channel combined.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But there are you know, historically based entertainment stories out there that I've really enjoyed. I was surprised by there's not a lot in scripture about uh, the importance of knowing and understanding history. Mm -hmm. When you think of it in the old mantra of, uh, you know, those who do not know history are are doomed to repeat it type thing. Mm Mm-hmm. One of the scripture verses I found was in Job 8, where one of his friends is trying to convince him that he's being cursed because he has not been a righteous man. Mm-hmm. Then I, I, I sort of opened my mind a little bit, and and I, I thought about John one one, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that really is what history is all about to Christians. We, we when we look at history we should be looking at history through the same lens that we watch these shows how is god served and glorified throughout history and and how can we use those historical lessons to serve him and and to do his work
0: and we can be critical of those ones telling this, the history as well because it's like what is that other mantra It's that he who wins is the the victor tells the this tale or history was written by men. And so we don't always necessarily, unless we had a time machine to go back and see how things really happened. You know, it's all a perspective. It's all based on a worldview and, you know, who wrote the history book.
1: Mm -hmm. I did find a couple quotes that I thought were poignant, applicable here. The first one is actually Ralph Waldo Emerson. When a thought of Plato becomes a thought to me, when a truth that fired the soul of St. John fires mine, time is no more, which I thought was uh, very interesting when basically he's saying, when a great thought or a great inspiration touches me, then time stands still. And one from John Campbell, who is the, the father of science fiction, at least a founder of science fiction publications. It's, you know, post Vern, but he founded analog science fiction and uh, fact magazine. Anyway, he, he wrote history does not always repeat itself. Sometimes it just yells, can't you remember anything I told you? And let's fly with a club. <laughs> and I really find that one applicable in, in today. And we talked about it in our last recording. We're living in a time where. People are going around tearing down statues because they don't like a single aspect of that person's life. And it's going to result in a challenge for generations to come if we allow that to continue. Yeah. Anyway, so two history programs that, that I have watched recently or been watching. The first is Hamilton on Disney Plus, which is the musical by Lynn Manuel Miranda. The, and I, I really enjoy the, the music of it. I'm a fan of the musical style, the rap musical style that, that he uses. I'm a huge fan of Toby Mack. Have been listening to him since, uh, since I was in high school. So he's, Toby mac has been doing his thing either as DC talk or as a solo artist for <laughs> more than 30 years now. So props to him for staying relevant. And I like Hamilton because even though it takes more than a fair amount of creative license with how it presents everything, it still stays accurate to the important stuff and the messages and and elements of the story. And, And that's important to me when it comes to history.
0: It's interesting because we'd actually discussed doing this episode on Hamilton, but I tried to watch mm. it and I couldn't get through it. So, And I, I want to admit one of the reasons is, number one, I'm not a big fan of rap. And number two, I couldn't understand it. I had to turn on the subtitles to actually, I don't know if it was the way it was recorded or just the way the all of the text, all, the, where the words ran together in the rap or something. I just couldn't, yeah. I couldn't listen to it. I had to watch it watch the subtitles. And as we have already discussed, I am more of a listener than a watcher. So <laughs> that was a huge hurdle for me. It meant I couldn't do anything else while I was watching the movie. And so, yeah,
1: yeah, I couldn't get yeah. through it. It's not for everybody. Yeah. Even though, you know, I'm right and you're wrong. But, <laughs> so the other series, and it's one that we're still watching is called Poldark and it's a BBC series, and it, it, it's a story of very late 18th century between the end of the American Revolution and the turn of the 18th century into the 19th century. It focuses on the Poldark family in Cornwall, England, uh, and it's very heavy into family politics and, and everything, but uh, the main characters, Ross Poldark and his wife, Demelza, are Basically, good people who are going through struggles that are just as relevant in 1795 as they are in 2020.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's really easy to sympathize with the characters and to want to reach out and slap them when they do something stupid, which the, the character Ross Poldark, who's a veteran of the, uh, the British side or the, the English side of the American Revolution. Does quite frequently do stupid things. (laughs) You know, for me, I've mentioned before that I'm very much a big picture person. Mm -hmm. And for me, seeing how their stories, which are completely fictional, and the beautiful Cornwall scenery, Mm -hmm. seeing how that all – plays in on the larger world stage. You know, characters are impacted by the French Revolution Mm -hmm. and the war between the French and the British Empire. And an episode we watched just the other day said, uh, what do you think of this young upstart in France who seems to be getting everyone together? Oh, Napoleon? I don't think anything will ever come of him.
0: (laughs) I think that's why I appreciated watching Downton Abbey. I I binged that, I think it was last year. Mm. I had, you know, everybody always raved about Downton Abbey, and I'd never seen it, and I finally binged it, and uh, I appreciated the way it was couched in history. I mean, like the, in the pilot yeah. pilot episode, there was, you know, the, the sinking of the Titanic started off
1: the whole thing. And, oh, I've never watched it, oh, so it, yeah. it's, it's, I'm keeping it in reserve for, <laughs> for the next now, quarantine. <laughs> there,
0: I will admit, there are some bad things in that show that make it uncomfortable to watch, but there there is just enough of a historical context to kind of you know, because they have World War One, they have the Titanic, they have the flu epidemic, and you know things like that that you just can couch into a certain amount of history, and then the other one, I admit, I don't like history, but I have gotten more into it with binge watching, and that is uh, the Crown on Netflix.
1: Ah, uh, Kayla watched that one,
0: yeah, I thought that was really good because it you know filled in so much of British history. I'm just not, I, I never really have paid much attention to British history, and so that, that was and
1: really good. That one's about our current
0: current uh, queen. The
1: current queen not Elizabeth, right? Not our current right? queen, yeah. Yes. Yeah, not our queen. Co- <laughs> <laughs> For those of you who don't know, my daughter and her her husband recently moved with my grandchildren to England, where my son-in-law is now stationed at it. <laughs> us air force in capacity as a linguist in the Mm -hmm. us air force so we've been talking about england a lot recently (laughs) in our household
0: one of my grandmothers was a royal fan a fan of the royals like before she passed away they actually got her like the the dolls of the new children (laughs) you know the prince and princess yeah so yeah she was oh everything was always about the you know the royals that's funny Interesting, you know, since you're talking about history, I'm going to do the next one on my list, which is the movie, the movie radiation, which came out on Amazon Prime, I think just in like in the last few weeks, it hasn't been out very long. And it was another one we were concerting for this episode. Unfortunately, the movie is not that good. So it's not one that Hmm. I, I would recommend. It's very bipolar. It's like on one hand, it wants to appreciate Mary Curry. And what she did, but at the same time, it was denigrating everything that has happened, you know, radiation-wise since the discovery of radiation. And the way they sandwich it together is, is very bipolar. You know, it's like at the end of the movie, you actually have, as she's dying, she is walking through the hospital seeing all of the people who have died of radiation poisoning since... You know, like from Chernobyl and the the bomb tests and Hiroshima really? and That's interesting. yeah, yeah, they just they they work it all through there through the movie in a very weird way. It's very odd.
1: Th- this one is definitely on my list still. Yeah. To, to watch. I just haven't gotten to it yet.
0: I have to admit that I read had read some reviews on Amazon before I actually watched it, mm. so I may have been tainted a little bit <laughs> by <laughs> by some of the reviews.
1: Foolish thing to do. I know. I
0: should never read what other people think of the movie. But one of the things that it focuses on is it really focuses more on her personal life than on her professional achieve- achievements. And uh. so it there's a little bit of a romance between her and her husband uh, Pierre Curie, who was her partner in her scientific achievements, and he mm-hmm. dies. Well, he's dying of radiation. Poisoning, But I think he's actually killed because he's run over by a, a horse and carriage. But mm. he, the reason why he was in the street wandering aimlessly and got hit was because he was suffering from radiation poisoning. So at least that's the way they portrayed it in the movie. I don't know if that's really what happened. That's the thing with this movie is that you honestly don't know what's real history about her and what was creative license that they th- yeah. threw in to make the, the movie work. But I, I really appreciated the fact that they talked about her being a woman in a man's field, because back when she made these discoveries, women just did not do science, and that she balanced that with you know, getting married and having uh, two children, and that she was, uh, I think the reason that she didn't go with uh, Pierre to get their first Nobel Prize was because she was pregnant and having difficulties with her pregnancy. So ah, okay. that was at least what they showed in the movie and of course he ends up getting credit for all of their discoveries because he accepts the prize and and she really struggles with that so i you know the movie deals well with those things but i appreciated the the historical context of it in the fact that they were dealing with something they that they had no clue uh what they what they were doing and what they were exposing themselves to and mm. And and I think that that was why the movie is so bipolar is because they were trying to go, oh, this is, you know, this was beautiful that she was this woman. And she, you know, back when women couldn't be scientists, she made all of these discoveries. And at the same time, because it's, I imagine, a leftist who created it, she, I, I would imagine they were really struggling because they absolutely hate radiation and all of the horrible things that it does. You know, the, the bomb and nuclear yeah, power. That,
1: Let's forget all the great things that we do yeah. with radiation, yeah,
0: they were concentrating on all the bad things that have happened because of radiation, and I think that they were torn by their two agendas you know the the woman professional scientist versus the mm-hmm. horrible things about radiation so I, I that's why the movie came across so badly
1: honestly when i when I saw the previews i I figured it would be uh you know seventy to eighty five percent feminism yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Well, there is some feminism in there, but uh, like she, when she first meets Pierre, you know, he offers to make it more than a professional relationship. She's like, well, I won't be your, you know, the typical wife where you come home and I'll rub your feet and, you know, all of that.
2: <laughs>
0: so you really get the sensation that they were trying to present her as a feminist of her era, which the feminists of her era, I don't have a problem with the feminists of her era. Because they were struggling against social mores that really beat women down. I don't agree yeah. with the feminism of this era. And that you can't portray women from that era and try to make them champions for what feminism is in this era. So,
1: Right. It's a completely different concept.
0: Yes. Yes. And I think that may be why the movie was so bipolar. It's because they were struggling with that.
1: Yeah, they wanted it to represent something that it doesn't necessarily represent you know i i've really come to appreciate youtube when watching movies like this uh, and google because we can always and i do this with all kinds of movies go in and find
0: documentaries
1: where where they were accurate and where they weren't <laughs> yeah. accurate i did that with hamilton and the prestige mm was another one that I really enjoyed doing that with to see where they took creative license on what could and couldn't be done at the time and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, But uh, I can guarantee once I get to watching Radiation, I, I'm i going to see where they, they bent reality. So my next category is a very general category and it actually loops into my third category, which will wait. It's do-gooders. And it's really do-gooders is such a... Uh, such a broad category, but, but really it all ties into, to two pieces of scripture for me. The, the first is Micah 6 8. Mankind, he has told you what is good yeah. and what it is the Lord requires of you to act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. Can you just imagine what the world would be like if everybody <laughs> Tried to do this on a daily basis, it would be such a different planet. Yeah. And the second one, Hebrews thirteen sixteen don't don't neglect to do what is good and to share, for God is pleased with such sacrifices. And both of those really inform my concept of what a do gooder is. Mm-hmm. A do gooder is you know a servant who loves God and justice. And I actually chose two different programs that I'm currently watching to represent the range of do-gooders. <laughs> and the the first is actually a Netflix series called Mr. Iglesias starring Gabriel Iglesias, a.k.a. Fluffy, uh, one of those clean comedians. Who a friend of like Jay Leno and Tim Allen and all of them. And he struggles to teach history with humor to a group of cast out students in an underfunded California high school, which is one of those, you know, plot lines that if you take out the word humor, it suddenly sounds like a depressing <laughs> story. <laughs> but uh Gabriel Iglesias is a very funny comedian he does you know funny voices and he uses all those it really you know just like so many sitcoms that star a, a stand up comedian it really is just a vehicle to get their comedy out right but comedy is good you know it, if you've ever read a readers digest it, you know they have the section laughter is the best medicine mm-hmm.
0: which comes from scripture
1: <laughs> yeah, it sure does. Proverbs 17:22, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. And really, we shouldn't shy away from humor. Humor is good for us as long as it's not corrupting.
0: I always thought that I that God has a sense of humor. The the platypus is one of the reasons that I think that God has a sense of humor. <laughs> It's like every the evolutionary scientist is compartmentalizing all these animals, you know, by their looks and characteristics. And then he comes yeah. to the platypus and he's like, uh, where does this? this will
1: be? really mess with them. <laughs> <laughs> Proverbs fifteen fifteen uh is uh, similar. All the days of the oppressed are miserable, but a cheerful heart has a continual feast. Mm. It really just does help show us uh, if we don't worry, be happy, you know? Mm-hmm. So the other do-gooder one is a a complete turnaround. It's actually another BBC series called Endeavor, which is actually the early – it's a currently running series, but it's an early incarnation of a very popular detective in British literature and television called Inspector Morse. Mm. And Endeavor is Inspector Morse's first name. So it's it's, uh, Endeavor Morse is the character's name. Endeavor is – Morse is a character who is struggling to find his own path, seeking to serve others through solving crime as he does it. And it is much more refined and quite a bit darker. What he's doing is important work, and he's doing good.
0: I think it's interesting that that character comes up for you because one of the things I didn't say back when we were going through what we watch is that I do tend to like dark stories and dark characters. And Mm. one of the ones I remember, and I think this was a TV show that was way back, and there's been some movies that have the same name, but the show that I'm thinking of is called, I think it's called The Equalizer. And it was oh yeah, yeah. it was a TV show back in either the late 80s or early 90s. I can't remember exactly when mm-hmm. it aired. But he was a very dark character. He was like a, a spy who had a really checkered past. And he was trying to atone for his past by equalizing the odds, using his skills to help people who nobody else would help. And yeah. so I agree with you on the do-gooder thing. I think that that, is, that attracts me. Those kind of storylines attract me. Yeah. And and a lot of times it's when it's the dark character, the one who has that checkered past, who is trying exactly. to to find redemption and doing good for others.
1: Just so you know, it, it, you probably know this, but they did do two movies with Denzel Washington on the Equalizer, mm-hmm. which weren't bad.
0: Yeah. It was the TV show that I'm talking about.
1: Yeah. They sort of stepped away from the whole helping others thing a little bit more in the movies. Mm-hmm. So it, it didn't really quite have the same bite for me.
0: Since we're talking about what we have been watching recently, I have been doing a lot of binging on National Geographic. As I mentioned earlier, I do like to watch animal shows. And so I've watched all of the Dr. Pole, which there are a ton of seasons of Dr. Pole, and Dr. Oakley, who is the Yukon vet, and uh, Secrets of the Zoo, which actually deals with a <clears> zoo <throat> that's not that far away from me in Columbus. Nice. And so yeah, it's just been stuff to have on in the background. I kind of watch, and I'm doing other things at the same time. But I really enjoy watching reality TV like that, where you're you're dealing with real people, with real animals, and you know, real veterinary issues and challenges. And applying a Christian worldview to reality TV is a little different than when you're doing fiction <laughs> because you're not. It's not so much of an agenda. There is an agenda in reality TV, and I think that definitely. You can't get away from agendas because there's a producer who's creating the show and he has, you know, especially with these veterinarian shows, I think they, they probably film over several weeks and then they just pick out, you know, the stories they want to follow. And, and that's what you see in the show. And so you're not seeing everything, but like with Dr. Oakley, you're following a lot of her private life as well. You know, see her with her three daughters and her husband who is a part-time firefighter and, and he helps her with the animals a lot. And He hunts and fishes and does all the things that people do in, in the Yukon. <laughs> and so they're fun vignettes of real people's lives. But the stories that they choose to produce in the show are sometimes stories that are chosen because they represent something that is a social agenda or something like that. And so yeah. it does come up not nearly as often as it does in fiction because real life is stranger than fiction. And sometimes uh. one of the things that I have found with dealing with, with this type of show is that it, it does represent the biblical concept of dominion and care for our environment and care for, for mm-hmm. animals and It surprises me sometimes watching some of these shows, how far people will go to care for an animal. I am an animal lover. I've had dogs and cats my whole life. I've never been without a pet. And I've just recently put one of my cats down, and that was really hard. But it's it's something where, for me, you have to eventually draw the line. You know, they're an animal. There's only so much that you can explain to them that you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And you go beyond that line and then you're causing them to suffer needlessly because you can't explain, yeah.
1: you know, like you're, you're a steward of their
0: existence and it's different. Their lives are different than human lives. You would go f- much further it to save a human life than you would an animal life, uh, mainly because for the most part, you can't explain to humans that, you know, you're going to hurt now, but we're going to make you better kind of thing. Mm hmm. So all that to say is that this is this type of viewing uh, fits in to our worldview standpoint a little differently, but you still have yeah. to be aware of the agendas and keep your eyes open for them.
1: You know, there, there's a show called uh, Cash Cab, which is a, a, sort of like a game show that takes place in a New York taxi. Mm-hmm. And uh, even with that show, it's clear that there's an agenda by the contestants that they choose. Yeah. I mean, you get, get you get a significantly higher percentage of transvestites and lesbian couples and, <laughs> and whatnot as contestants on the show than ever populate a cabbie in New York City. So, you know, it's so subtle how they can do it in reality programming.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even like I used to watch Survivor a long time ago and maybe like the first – handful of seasons and the kind of contestants that they would choose to be like on the amazing race or survivor or whatever. They're usually Mm -hmm. trying to create drama by the people that they, they hand select to be the contestants and to be part of the, the challenge because they know it will create good TV. It'll, it'll be the create the drama that what people will tune in to watch.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And you understand that You got to have conflict to, Create good TV. <laughs>
0: <laughs> good in, in air quotes.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was doing the air quotes. Nobody could see me though. Yeah. It's, you know, uh, you, you mentioned the whole. Secrets of the Zoo one. One of the ones that my wife and I have a, as a uh, fallback series constantly on our DVR is the program The Zoo mm-hmm. on Animal Planet, which is about, um, the Bronx Zoo and, and that, that entire collection of zoos, uh, in New York City. And, and we find it fascinating, if sometimes a little sad to see all the stuff that they have to deal with. Mm hmm dealing with the animals, but, you know, the whole administrative side and everything.
0: Yeah. The the interesting thing about Secrets of the Zoo is how much, or Secrets of the Zoo, how much the keepers really invest uh, themselves into the lives of these animals. So-
1: Yeah. Same thing with this. The it's zoo like program. whenever yeah. that,
0: an animal reaches its lifespan or, or gets too ill and they have to put it down, it's devastating for these keepers because it's somebody that they have invested time and care into these animals and when when they have to be put put down it's just heart-wrenching for them
1: oh and yeah it's so written on their faces Mm -hmm. the worry that they feel when Mm -hmm. and you know sometimes i'm looking at it like dude it's a toad (laughs) but it's you know they know every toad by name so So my last category, and it's continuing my do-gooders theme, is uh, superheroes, <laughs> which it falls into the fantasy thing, and I know it checks the box for both, both both of us. Yes, and you know I I scoured Scripture looking for something to support my love of superheroes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, Jesus is the is the best superhero. <laughs> yeah,
1: he's the original. <laughs> But uh, really, it's it's the concept, and and uh, the scripture I settled on was Matthew twenty five thirty five through forty, which I'm sure our listeners will will recognize. "'For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. "'I was thirsty, and you gave me something something to drink. "'I was a stranger, and you took me in. "'I was naked, and you clothed me. "'I was sick, and you took care of me. "'I was in prison, and you visited me. "'Then the righteous man answered him, "'Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, "'or thirsty and give you something to drink? "'When did we see you a stranger and take you in, "'or without clothes and clothe you? "'When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you?' Uh, And the king will answer them, truly, I tell you, whenever you did this for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And for me, that represents somebody who has the ability that other people don't using that ability to take care of other people.
0: Which is why neither of us like the boys.
1: (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's
0: it perverted that.
1: <laughs> it it, it they, just it just twisted it around and made it dark and uh.
0: They were all in it for themselves and and not in it for the people and it was all image and and I got that just from the from the first episode.
1: And you know, one of the things about the boys that drew me in was I like it when they examine Having superpowers and not using them for good. Mm -hmm. There's an author, Brandon Sanderson. He he writes Christian-esque stories. Uh, He's actually a a Mormon, a very devout Mormon. And his faith shows through Mm -hmm. in what he writes, uh, which, you know, it ends up producing very Christian-type themes with some weird (laughs) – (laughs) <laughs> Some weird, kind of fringes. like Orson
0: Scott Card science fiction.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Very, very similar. Yeah, and uh, mm-hmm. and he writes an entire series about people who get superpowers, and the superpowers come with uh, a corruption that turns them evil, mm-hmm. and made for a very interesting book series that I was hoping the boys would reflect, and it doesn't. Mm. So the three uh, things that I picked uh, to represent my superheroes watching recently is Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which my wife and I have been watching since it started seven years, eight years ago. It just had its series finale this week. Uh, and uh, if for those of you who have watched the Marvel movies, Agent Phil Coulson is a character in uh, all three Iron Man movies. I think he was in the third one, too. Might not have been in the third one. We, he was definitely in the first two. He was in uh, Thor, uh, the original Thor. He couldn't
0: have been in the third one because the third one was after Avengers.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, good point. Yep. So he was in the first two and he was in Thor. And then in the Avengers movie, he died on screen.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> Very clearly yes. killed by Loki. <laughs> And then this series comes out on TV called Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And the first three minutes of the series is stepping out of this dark corner and saying – Welcome to level 7 and it's a big gasp moment, you know, for all the uh, Marvel fans, fans. watching. Mm-hmm. But it follows him and his team as they as they step into the gap between the superpowered and supernatural and everyday people and mm-hmm. it really just the way they do that I really enjoy.
0: I saw season 1 but I didn't watch it after that.
1: Yeah, you know, a lot of people And I say a lot of people, I want to say about 50% of the people who have tried it didn't really get into it. But Kayla and I both feel that uh, it was every bit as enjoyable with some, you know, episodic exceptions as the Marvel Universe in general, the MCU in general. A movie that I just watched yesterday, as a matter of fact, was called Project Power. And the reason I watched it is it has two actors in it that I thoroughly enjoy, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and uh, Jamie Fox. Um, and it's one of those ones where it examines the darker side of of powers. The premise says that a drug is released on the street that grants the user of the drug uh, a superpower for five minutes. And five minutes exactly. Uh, and it follows this, this police detective and army green beret as they, uh, as they fight to find the drug su- supplier and then fight the supplier out of their own motivations towards family and community. And that sounds their familiar motivations too. really,
0: what was that TV show where the guy was on that took drugs that made him?
1: Was it limitless? limitless. Yeah. Yeah. That was based on a movie. It, it wasn't McConaughey but that yeah sounds yeah, like yeah, a, very, a similar very concept
0: similar. yeah i liked limitless that was it had good humor to it
1: it's i never i never watched a series i should i should oh you should it's really good yeah but the project power i i enjoyed it it wasn't a great movie but it was enjoyable and, and really got you thinking when you apply you know critical thinking to it and the last one uh one that i'm watching with my daughter is Umbrella Academy.
0: Yeah. I watched that when it came out last year. I think it was, it was, yep. it was very interesting.
1: We just finished episode six of season two. And the the premise is that seven children are born on, born under supernaturally mysterious circumstances, uh, pregnancies that lasted all of one day <laughs> and they are adopted by an eccentric, uh, and I had to look, look this word up, misopedist which is somebody who hates children, uh, who then raises them to use their superpowers to serve his own machinations uh, under the guise of, you know, fighting evil.
0: Is there a second season now?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's on Netflix now.
0: I have to get Netflix again so I can catch up. I'm I'm behind on a couple series.
1: So Umbrella Academy specifically, you know, examines what – it questions what is good and what is evil. The second season deals a lot more with the father's uh motivations and mm. and what drive drove his actions in the creation of the umbrella academy and everything and that's that's the kind of thing that i I really uh am finding meaty mm-hmm. uh, can sink my teeth into,
0: yeah, so it seems like we both tend to like to watch stuff that has like Double messaging, like there's just there's the story, but there's also an underlying yeah. element of philosophical debate or uh, underlying s- machinations or or something like that. So
1: yeah, multiple layers. Multiple
0: layers. Yeah, we like to really dig our teeth into something and and uh, look at it. On much multiple like levels. an ogre,
1: <laughs> like an ogre and an onion. <laughs> uh
0: well, that is our viewing habits and uh I imagine we could keep this discussion going on for a while because you and I both <laughs> probably watch more TV than we're supposed to. But yeah, uh, there there is a lot to watch and like I let Netflix go over a year ago, so I I'm thinking I may have to maybe trade off and let Disney go for a while and switch back to Netflix. But mm. the, the problem that I'm having right now with Prime is that a lot of their original stuff is Rated R or worse, you know, it's like, yeah. wh- why are they not producing uh, more family content? Why is everything
1: yeah. uh, so the, bad? One of the movies that I was hoping that we would be able to do was that uh, uh, Prime just released a new version of The Secret Garden, mm. which I'd never actually read or seen the original. So I was really looking forward to it, only to find out that it it's in this this new quarantine release plan of premium viewing. Yeah. So yeah. you actually have to pay, I think it's $30. Yeah. Uh, that Actually, Secret Garden is $20. Uh, Mulan, which is coming out on Disney Plus soon, is a premium viewing cost of $30.
0: <sighs> oh, well.
1: Yep. It, it is what it is. We live in a capitalistic society. Woohoo.
0: Got to make their money somehow. So if you are not already a subscriber... We would love for you to subscribe to our podcast on wherever you get podcasts. We're pretty much on all of them now, not just Apple mm-hmm. or Google. You can comment on the show notes if you have anything you want to add. But we'd really like you to come join our Facebook discussion group, which you can get to by going to com slash community, and that will take you straight to our group, and you can ask to join, and we'll let you join because we we're not like have you a list of questions you have to answer or anything like that you just click join and we'll come behind you and say
1: yeah sure come on in yeah yeah it, we we do that number 1 because the closed group was a requirement when you set it up wasn't it
0: well it, we i just don't want it our posts in there to be general knowledge you know so yeah. in order to keep the stuff private in there you have to make it so that you approve people coming in
1: and and we need to be able to, to Moderate people who go off the rails.
0: Right. And yeah.
1: seriously off the rails. <laughs>
0: yeah. Which so far nobody has done. So we're
1: okay. Yep.
0: But yeah, come join us there. You can also email us at feedback at are You, just you can call our voicemail number at 513 818 2959 and leave a voicemail if you want to tell us what you've been watching and how you're applying the Are You Just Watching? Philosophy to your viewing habits, well, feel free to leave us a voicemail. We might use it in a another episode where we can get our listeners that
1: would be wonderful
0: giving some personal experiences and how they are applying some of this to their viewing. We would dearly love your support. We actually have some really good long term supporters that have been you know, holding this show up and on their shoulders. And we really appreciate them. That's uh, Craig Hardy, Stephen Brown, the second David Lefton and Peter Chapman been giving to us monthly. You can also join and support us monthly by going to patreon.com slash. Are you just watching? And if there's other ways that you would want to give, we could probably manage a PayPal or something like that. So just let us know. You can follow me on Twitter at eFranklin.
1: And I'm on Twitter at Rencheple, R-E-N-C-H-E-P-L-E.
0: if you don't know how to spell that, you haven't listened to very many of our episodes. <laughs> <laughs> we hope that everybody is staying safe and well and...
1: Mm, amen.
0: That they are plugged into a church and worshiping, whether that's virtually or uh, in person with this weird world that we live in right now. We pray that you're plugged into a Christian community and... With that in mind, we are also part of the Christian podcast community and we would love for you to check out some of our fellow podcasters because we have a a bunch of them that are on all kinds of Christian topics and there's probably something out there. Yeah, there's probably something there for everybody. And they're not all. I think we're probably fairly unique in the type of show we are. And the podcast community is very heavily Christian and biblical and theological. And there's some really great podcasts there. So do check out uh, the Christian podcast community and come back for our next episode. I have no clue what it's going to be.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we got to figure that one out.
0: Yeah, as soon as we get this one out, we're going to have to sit down and go, oh, okay, what now what Maybe are we going to do? Maybe we can do, do some- a
1: theater thing.
0: Oh, I don't know. I don't know. The world is coming apart on, this, on the seams. But entertainment is pretty much just stuck with your in-your-living-room TV at the moment. But we'll figure something out. So we hope that you'll join us then. And thank you so much for listening. I'm Eve Franklin.
1: I'm Tim Martin. And don't just watch.
0: Are you just watching as a member of the Christian podcast community? Find more interesting podcasts on theology and Christian living at podcast.strivingforeternity.org.